Welcome back to America's Talking. Today, my guest is Matt Briney. Matt is the Vice President of Media and Communications at George Washington's Mount Vernon, where he's responsible for marketing, community relations, partnerships, video production, public relations, media outreach, and more. Matt, thanks for joining. Awesome. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having us on. Excited to talk today. So uh, starting out with the most basic question possible, but I feel like it may be necessary given the state of American civics knowledge. Why? Wh what is Mount Vernon's place in our country's history? Sure. Well, Austin, Mount Vernon is uh, George Washington's home in Virginia. Um, it is the home of our nation's first president, the commander in chief of the American Revolution. <clears throat> and uh, probably most importantly, it, it's one of the uh, historic uh, first earliest uh, American historic preservation sites. Um, uh, the Mount Vernon Ladies Association, who owns Mount Vernon, privately found uh, uh, run organization, uh, purchased it from the Washington family in 1858, opened it to the public in 1860, and it serves as a place where uh, a pilgrimage where Americans can learn more about George Washington and the founding era, and uh, really. A lot of people know a lot of things about George Washington. A lot of people know a lot of myths about George Washington. And, uh, uh, you know, they may know him as the man on the dollar bill or the uh, or a, a man in a marble statue in a halls of government. Um, but that doesn't really get you allow you to get to understand the man himself and his in interests, his pursuits. Um, and so we say that Mount Vernon is really an autobiography. Um, it's a place where you can learn that, you know, he was an excellent horseman. He was uh, a great dancer. He enjoyed experimenting with different agricultural technologies and 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 kind of advancing, uh, you know, where our nation was going. And so I think that the, the, it's a place where uh, we encourage all Americans to to visit at least once in their life. So I'm curious. You've spearheaded a lot of new media or or innovation at Mount Vernon, and I'm curious your thoughts on. The nature of these, you, you mentioned the word pilgrimage, which evokes an image of a place where people go. Mm -hmm. But obviously, I, I don't know what the actual numbers are. I would assume maybe that is uh, less common given the proliferation of many resources that people can experience and learn about those things without necessarily going there. Uh, how do you see the future of these sort of historic sites and making sure that we learn those lessons without for people who wouldn't have the resources or uh, the opportunity to go to those places. Well, absolutely. So I joined uh, Mount Vernon about eight years ago, and that's really the the foundation of our digital programming. Um, uh, it's where we expanded our website. It's where we created our virtual tour. We begin our video series, our podcast series, um, and. You know, uh, Mount Vernon in a normal year receives 1.1 million visitors, uh, which is a tremendous amount of people to come to a historic site. Um, but, you know, what we found is the, that the digital platform doesn't necessarily deter from visitation. Um, but what it does do is it amplifies the audience that we can reach. So uh, on mountvernon.org, our website, uh, 
it, it, we welcome over 10 million uh, people per year on on that site. Um, uh, and it's everybody from school kids to, you know, just general public that are interested in learning just more about Washington. That a lot of times they're they're seeing something on TV, they're reading something in a newspaper, and then they're Googling that. And so they come across our website because, uh, you know, it's education is a large part of our mission here at Mount Vernon. And, uh, and we really feel it's important to be able to have resources out there for people to learn about the things that, uh, you know, uh, honestly are less covered in, in classrooms today. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I think that the digital really just allows more people access it. We get classrooms, you know, and, and emails from teachers from all around the world, country that, uh, and world really that, um, let's say, you know, we couldn't afford to come to Mount Vernon. Um, but the the ability to use a virtual tour or play our Be Washington interactive game uh, or watch a video or documentary um, on Washington that we produce, uh, it just enables them, their, their teaching in classrooms to be even richer. So you mentioned curriculum for the last really three years, it seems like, um, with the advent of the 1619 Project, there's been sort of a new... Uh, uh, a new debate, a new discussion opened, uh, a, a really complex discussion about the nature of the country's founding. I'm curious, we don't have to get into necessarily the, the 1619 project, but when people ask you about the legacy of George Washington, how would you explain that to, say, a fifth grader? And how would you explain that to someone who's graduated from college? What are those, What are the things that you emphasize to those two groups? Well, I think that, uh, you know, the reason why we support the, the celebration of George Washington and his life is really, you know, he unified our country. Uh, he sets forward the, the rights and, and legislations and firsts within the executive branch that, uh, that define, you know, who we are as a people, how we operate our systems of government. These are the things to really celebrate for, about Washington his leadership, his, uh, his service to country. Uh, you know, he is a slave owner. Uh, that is something that, uh, you know, we recognize and we, we deal with on a regular basis. And, and we have guests that challenge us with that, uh, the, those discussions, and we're prepared to be able to answer those questions. And the, the important thing I think is that we not try to erase any of our history or exclude any of our history, but tell a more complete history. And I think you can still celebrate the foundations of our nation's history and George, uh, the celebration of George Washington's life, while still also recognizing the, the, the horrible conditions of the past, you know, made through by the formation of the country and slavery. And I think that, uh, you know, what the 1619 Project has certainly done is it certainly brought light to that. Um, but, you know, it also has created, I think, a world where history is becoming very politicized. And, for me, that's extremely sad uh, because I think history is uh, is not a black and white type of situation. It is a million shades of gray, and uh, you know people ha really can enjoy learning and putting themselves into situations of different people at the time, and and developing that connection to history that way. That connection I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, there are so many examples of extraordinary moments and acts of leadership throughout George Washington's life. I'm wondering if you could just speak to a couple that spring to mind for you and kind of what what we can learn about great leadership from Washington. 
Yeah, well, I think there's kind of two really core elements to that uh, that are defined in in the same act, uh, the same types of acts that uh, that Washington does, and and really, I think uh, perhaps his greatest is, you know, the the civilian led, uh, you know, um, military, right? Uh, the fact that he resigns his commission in Annapolis after the war, he gives up power. How, think about how many other countries in the world, how many other revolutions, and that did not happen, right? You, you're, you're dealing with uh, strongmen that uh, that control a country with military rule, and, and, uh, and in a lot of ways oppress, you know, certain sects or entire populations of of their people. Uh, that is a legacy that is. Uh, I think a leadership trait that many, many can find uh, inspiration from too. That then uh, echoes itself in Washington's second resignment from power, uh, you know, after giving up two terms and running for president. You know, certainly I think the, the nation was almost ready to allow Washington to become king. He was so incredibly popular, uh, it, it won by a an, an unanimous vote, uh, uh, his first election uh, had a little struggle on the second term, but uh, but still uh, uh, succeeded. And uh, you know, I, I think that the nation could have easily turned into a monarchy, but uh, but Washington sets that precedent. You know that we will resign after two terms, return the 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 government's leadership back to the people, and a remarkable leader and someone that. Uh, uh, that we all can take inspiration from. If anyone is having a bad day, perhaps they feel disliked by colleagues, you can take some solace in the fact that George Washington had a pretty close uh, re-election campaign. Hopefully that can help. Some of exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the politics were strong by the by his second term. And, uh, you know, Jefferson and uh, Hamilton, especially some of Jefferson's backhand dealings, you know, in the press uh, to to discredit Washington, uh, some some more controversial decisions that were being made. Uh, it's not necessarily the formation of the government as it was in the first term. It's uh, it's now how do we deal with foreign uh, foreign issues and uh, and diplomacy and things that uh, are a lot more challenging to deal with. But, uh, you know, I think Washington was done by the end of it. But uh, but what's really remarkable is, I think, the fact that, uh, you know, his views on uh, which are expressed in the farewell address to the country and particularly with uh, with political parties and the spirit of party. I think that that's uh, perhaps one of his greatest warning is, uh, uh, you know, that that uh, that putting party above the 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 ideas of the country uh, could be dangerous, and and we certainly have seen where that has come into play throughout our history. And so it's a the farewell address. We always encourage people to read the farewell read the farewell address. It's not a long document, but it's uh, it often has uh, a lot of relevancy in in history throughout the throughout the years. You mentioned this earlier: uh, misconceptions or myths about Washington, and of course. Uh, slavery is the one that comes up, I think, just given modern political discussion. Uh, often left out of that conversation is his deep struggle and reckoning with slavery mm -hmm. sort of throughout his life and the fact that uh, in his will gave up um, all the slaves that were under his ownership. But I'm wondering if you could if you could sort of expound on that. Where do you think um, perhaps critics of that uh, get it wrong or, or what are people's misconceptions about his legacy in that regard? Yeah. Well, it, it Washington grows up in a time of uh, where slavery is a part of normal life. Um, 
you know, he inherits his first uh, in, enslaved people at the age of uh, of eleven, and uh, and and he, you know, upon his father's death, and and you know, it's a system where <clears throat> the economies are based around it. Um, but as Washington is going through the Revolutionary War, as he's having discussions with people like the Marquis de Lafayette, um, you know, the and they're having the early discussions on, uh, you know, the 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 freedom and rights of man, right? I mean, I, I think that that's where things start to become challenging for Washington, and you know, he's 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 a, he understands the irony of it, but at the same time. He's got a very young republic, you know, uh, and slavery, and especially at the at the Constitutional Convention, is a majorly contested issue, and it has the ability to tear the country apart, especially the new union, and it does, you know, a hundred years later. It, it uh, that that's the reason why we have the Civil War, right? And so I think that this is something where, um, you know, there, there's there's a lot that goes on his mind. He does take uh, initiatives. Uh, he has he writes per private thoughts, um, letters with other individuals like the Marquis de Lafayette, where he's trying to develop systems where by which you know he can uh, free those enslaved, allow them to work uh, on the farms that that he owns as essentially uh, tenant farmers. Um, but ultimately, you know, uh, it's it's the, the the economics just are not there. And Washington's also seen that slavery, the, the economics of slavery is not being sustainable either. Right. Um, uh, you know, he resigns from uh, the idea of buying and selling people. He also refuses to split up families that uh, that are enslaved and, and together. Uh, and then makes that final act uh, where he uh, frees the slaves that he has in control of his will. Now, that's less than half of the population here at Mount Vernon because a lot of the population at Mount Vernon uh, comes from the Custis estate, and they, they are what is called a dower slave. Um, and, and so they are part of the estate. They go on to the heirs of, of Martha Washington from her first husband. and. Uh, and so he has no actual control over those individuals. There are ways that Washington is uh, is wanting slavery to end, but then there's also ways in which he keeps the institution going too. So it's it's a very complex uh, part of his life, but it's a, an issue that he struggles with over the course of his life. You mentioned sort of some of the correspondence he had with uh, with Lafayette. I'm curious if you think. If I look at the perception of each founding father uh, on a spectrum of sort of um, military leadership uh, and political leadership versus sort of political philosophy and being more cerebral, I think most people perceive Washington more more so as the political and military leader than a sort of a political philosopher. Do you think that's sort of an underrated part of his legacy or how should we how should we think about that? I, I think that's fair. And I think actually Washington would probably see that as well. Um, you know, he he's not uh, college educated like many, many of his peers. He's a self-taught learner. Um, he, he reads a tremendous amount of books uh, and pamphlets and, and we have and, and a, on a variety of topics, everything from military history to Greek classics to farming to, you know, you name it. Um, but he's also I think one of Washington's greatest traits, though, is really the ability to listen to others. Um, so he absorbs throughout the presidency, throughout his entire life, ideas from people that he disagrees with, maybe. 
um, that have differing opinions and views, uh, and he'll bring together people of differing opinions and views. Uh, ultimately, he's going to make a decision on what he th feels is the, the most correct uh, course for the country um, and or for himself. Uh, but that's that's perhaps his greatest skill is the ability to absorb. And I think that, you know, while he's maybe not pontificating on uh, the various different things that uh, the, the ways that the country is going, he's absorbing these this information from others. And he is taking that and applying it to his world. What do you think his biggest influences were in decision making generally or his political thought? I'm, I'm curious, your, your point about his ability to absorb is so interesting. And he makes these critical decisions that seemingly more often than not, we're looking back incredible decisions that change the course of the country. Where did that skill come from? Who were his influences? Well, so I think, you know, Washington grew up, uh, you know, not in a, in a super well-to-do family. Uh, he, he is what you would call probably the upper middle class. Uh, uh, he is not the, the firstborn child. He is not going to inherit all the wealth. Um, and he's not set up for success. He's not necessarily a, 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 an enlisted officer in the in the army. He, these are things that he aspires to and things that he will eventually uh, become. I think that, you know, what you do see is in his half brother, Lawrence Washington, there's a lot of uh, mimicking and wanting to be him. I think there's Lord Fairfax, uh, his neighbor uh, at Mount Vernon, uh, that he takes him under his wing and he also, you know, teaches him the various different things. But then in Washington's early life, there's a lot of failure. <laughs> you know, I mean, he is essentially almost the, the cause of the Seven Years' War, uh, you know, in, in his inability to uh, speak and, and write French and not being able to understand uh, the diplomacy of the, the situation in, in the Ohio country. Um, but, uh, you know, but he learns from all those, those elements. So I think it's part reflective of his own capability, but then also, uh, you know, also being able to just absorb and, and take into things. But I think the other side of it too is he was very self-conscious that he was not self self uh, he, that he was not college educated, and so you know he's dealing with people like Alexander Hamilton or Thomas Jefferson that have they're they are great scholars. They are college educated. They have uh, they have great ideas on different things, and and so he's trying to keep up in a lot of ways, but, uh, um, but so he's not a man where you have a lot of great talking points. Uh, but when he does speak, it's because he's, he's formed a decision based off of what others and, and, and items that he's consumed. For those, those folks who say most of their civics knowledge came from what they learned in K through 12 education, and that's their most of their exposure to the American Revolution and to George Washington. What are resources that you recommend for those folks who just want to take maybe a deeper look at the country's history and specifically at Washington? Yeah, well, so we have a lot on the mountvernon.org website. Um, the first that I would encourage people to watch, it's a very easy, uh, uh, we have several videos on mountvernon.org slash video, uh, a film on uh, the American Revolution. We have a film on uh, the forming of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, these are short films, uh, less than 25 minutes. Uh, they're great for classrooms, and they start as the primer. Um, for this information. If you want to dig deeper, 
uh, you know, there are things, there are great biographies on George Washington. There are great uh, materials on our website and our digital encyclopedia um, that is all about the founding era. Um, so there are materials out there. But there was, you know, it's really interesting too, is that there's also pop culture moments. I mean, I remember we had, when we had uh, AMC's turn show up on TV shows, I mean, there's, there's a, a, a little grain of of truth in that the uh, the storytelling in turn and that the, it is based on the Culper spy ring and some of the characters are real characters. Um, but what we would find is after every episode, people would be Google searching, you know, who is this person? What really happened here? Right. And then they're coming across resources on our website. And I think that that's um, that's how people should engage these days. Find things that you're interested in, do ways that will entertain you, and then, you know, tr expand your knowledge. Ask the questions, you know, because maybe not everything that you're seeing in those uh, uh, items that are designed for entertainment are entirely fact based on facts. Matt Briney, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us on America's Talking. Absolutely. Awesome. Great to be with you. Thanks for having us.